You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Greetings, basketball fans. This is Aaron. It's good to have you here as I'm ready to bring in our guest and longtime friend, Nick Denny. He's a former editor for SB Nation's Charlotte Hornets site, At The Hive, who now considers himself a Hornets superfan. Although, if you ask me, he's far too realistic as a former journalist to sound like a typical superfan. At the time of our Saturday afternoon discussion, the youthful Hornets stood at 500, with 7 wins, 7 losses, and not a lot of consistency. Since, they came up with one of their best wins, narrowly defeating the then 11-1 Golden State Warriors, whom they limited to just 14 fourth quarter points. The forthcoming discussion highlights these young Hornets, who despite their lack of consistency in the early going, boast a high-octane and much-improved offense, led by virtuoso point guard LaMelo Ball and featuring the likes of Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, and Kelly Oubre, among others. Before we're done, Nick forecasts the task ahead for head coach James Borrego. This is one you're definitely not going to want to miss. Welcome to the show, Nick. It's great to have you on. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Lauren and I really wanted to talk about the Charlotte Hornets because, as you know, they are just loaded with young talent. And that will be the focus of this episode and how a team like that finds consistency over the course of the season. When we were thinking about having you on as a Hornets guest, they had a strong early record. They started 4-1, and one, winning their first three road games. Major issues have come up since. Maybe that's a little overstating it um, because it's so early in the season. It's only a little more than one-sixth of the way through, but they've blown significant leads. They were on the wrong end of a 22-0 run in last Sunday night's road collapse to the Clippers. The next night, they had a really long scoring drought against the Lakers, lost that game too. They ended up losing six of seven until Kelly Oubre's 37-point outburst led to that double-digit road victory in Memphis. And then they followed that one up with another exciting win where they came back from 16 multiple times in the first half to the Knicks on Friday night. So from my outsider perspective, it just seems like a, a really young team that's still finding itself. Are there kernels of hope that you see early in the season to suggest that they might actually be able to find that consistency that I was talking about? Yeah, that's really, really good question. I wanted to say like that there's, I haven't seen anything to suggest that they can put together a complete game yet because they haven't done it even in the wins. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like their youth is a big part of that. Um, They're I think one of the third or fourth youngest teams in the league. We can talk about kind of you know, why they have these sort of up and down games. But like I kind of, I, I thought this last night is that they're a really funny team in the sense that, like you said, they were down as many as 16 for multiple points of the first half against New York. Mm-hmm. And then 
the first half closes and they're down nine. And it's like, well, now this looks manageable. And I mean, they obviously felt the same way because they came in the third and just had a really, really strong uh, quarter. It just shows how good they can be when they really lock down on both ends. And they, you know, they really play their offense the way that it should be played. They're stronger on the defensive end. But again, it's like they're seven and seven for a reason because they just have those nights where they just can't put it together for any stretch of time. Um, or they just have big collapses, like you mentioned. But yeah, that's just, I'm not too concerned about it because it's they're again, they're a young team. My expectations might be a little bit different from others. Um, but seven and seven is, I think, pretty reflective of, of the team that they are at this point. I think so. And you mentioned when they lock down on defense, but I think that can be a big ask of such a young team. Mm-hmm. Before the season, and I think a lot of teams say this before the year, but they had a stated goal of boasting a top 10 defense. And through 14 games, according to defensive efficiency, the Hornets ranked 27th. And I mean, it makes sense. Young teams often struggle in that area. How much of a concern do you think that is for the coaching staff? And what, if anything, can it do to improve that? Maybe it's scheming or substitution patterns or something. It all starts with like their lack of rim protection. They just don't have centers or bigs that really can defend the rim you know, adequately. I mean, like honestly, their best rim protector is probably PJ Washington, who's a small ball center. And mm-hmm. uh, so they're because of that, they have to play more zone. I know I don't I don't know the numbers this year, but I know last year they played more zone than anyone. At that point, you're just kind of you know, you can pack the paint and you can defend the paint, but then you're just hoping that teams don't get hot from the outside. Even on Friday against the Knicks, like Kemba had a huge, huge first quarter because he was just open very often. So, you know, when they've gone in their runs, it's because they've been able to pack the paint and because maybe through a combination of better close closing out and the other team just going cold, they've been able to go on runs. Um, I don't think the defense is going to be able to sniff a top 10, you know, efficiency rating until they address rim protection. Um, But I don't, I don't think that's something that's going to happen in the near future. I mean, it's Mitch Kupchak's not the one to make a, you know, a quick decision when it comes to trades. Um, I don't necessarily think he should, but I think it'll be kind of a situation to see where they, where they are closer to the trade deadline. And then they might say, okay, you know, who do we have? Who's available? And can we maybe upgrade this position or not? I think that seems realistic, what you said, that it's highly unlikely that they would get close to the top 10. But even if they're like close to middle of the pack, that would be really good given how their offense is performing, wouldn't you think? In terms of at least like oh, yeah. sneaking into the playoffs this year? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's like it or hate it that that play in tournament does give them more you know, a a greater chance of at least giving themselves a shot. Right. Right. Um, And they didn't perform last year, but you know, they got, I think blown out by Indiana, but yeah, their, their Mm -hmm. offense has, it's, that's why people watch them, right? It's just how good they are offensively. It's all the weapons they have. It's the instinctiveness that Lamelo and others play with. It just, I mean, he starts it, but it just feeds off of everybody. And, and, and Borrego, you know, head coach Borrego really, I think allows allows that instinctiveness. And, and so, you know, that's, what's going to win them games. Um, I thought, or at least, no, let me, let me put that 
me rephrase that. That's what's going to keep them in games. And then yeah. those nights where they can play well enough defensively are going to be the nights where they can at least they can pull off some wins and maybe beat some teams that, you know, they don't really have any business, you know, beating. I think the one game where other than when they beat Orlando earlier this year and where they played just pretty poorly the whole night, you know, I think the other nights where they won, it's because they actually, you know, put it together on both ends for enough stretch of time. Um, but yeah, other than that, they're, they're a high flying offense and they're a defense that lacks consistency. That was an excellent teaser to talking about that explosive offense. I'll get into that a little bit more just in a second. They're ranked yeah. sixth in the NBA in efficiency, but it is on the offensive side of the ball. I want to note a positive, and this is another thing that you would so you would expect a bad turnover rate from a young team, and they've really improved in that area. So they ranked sixth worst a season ago in turnover percentage. They're actually sixth best this year. What do you attribute that to? Is it a combination of things? Maybe the maturation of Lamelo Ball in year two. And just just being more careful collectively as a unit, or, or what do you think it is? That's really interesting because, like Lamelo, you know, you mentioned his maturation, and he certainly has matured in a lot of ways. But I'd say he's probably um, contributing to more of their. Uh, if I had to guess, and I can actually look it up right here because I have some numbers up here, but I bet he would be the one leading the team in turnovers, just because he's the one that kind of makes a lot of the. Um, you know, biggest, yeah, he actually, he is, he averages about two and 2.8 turnovers a game. But, but um, sorry to interrupt. I just, I just want to say, I still think though, that for a 20 year old guard point guard, especially one with such imaginative passes as him. Yeah. I think that that's really good of a turnover rate. I think you'll take that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you live with, and I mean, Brago talked about this, I think in the, um, the Mahoney piece, I think we'll talk, we might talk about that later, but mm-hmm. great piece. He mentioned how he has to, like, he understands that part of what makes Lamelo great is just the fact that he's going to take risks on plays that he knows he can make, right? And sometimes yeah. they, they, they work, other times they don't, but you live with, you live with the times where he does turn it over because you don't want to rein that in too much. Otherwise, you're taking away a part of his game that makes him so good. Um, yeah, I think they're, you know, the ball movement's better. They're uh, they're just being better, like just taking better care of the ball. Um, I don't feel like it's they're, they're they're not sloppy. They're not making sloppy passes. They're very in sync with each other. Yeah, it, it's probably just an overall maturation and comfort with the offense as well. I mean, a lot of these guys have now played in, in uh, you know with Brago for at least a couple years now, so they know what he wants them to do offensively, and I think they have a better understanding of it. Hmm. They ranked 23rd in offensive efficiency last year. So it has to be really encouraging that they've made such a leap. And again, their point guard is 20 years old. To me, that's just insane. I don't think we can say that enough over the course of the interview. But you mentioned that incredible piece at The Ringer from Rob Mahoney. It was filled with so many good nuggets. I know you tweeted about the Michael Jordan anecdote, which I loved. (laughs) So many just spectacular quotes throughout. I want to hone in on one. And it's not just a profile on LaMelo. It really weaves in where he is in his life and career with the state of the team as well. Mm -hmm. And we learn things about Miles Bridges and other guys throughout the piece too that I thought were fascinating. But the thread about 
LaMelo's creativity and just his flashy quality of his game. It's otherworldly, but he still has the skill and the fundamentals to match that flashiness. So it's it's not just style without substance. I think that's important to note. And there is this quote from head coach James Borrego I want to read really quick. He took years off of Pop's life. He said of Manu Ginobili in comparing the retired lefty Spurs shooting guard to LaMelo Ball when it comes to their flashy, unorthodox styles and decision-making. And then the quote continues, but Pop would say in those moments, he was more alive than ever. I feel the same way. I can see it right now. I can feel this relationship building and growing after every single game. I love it. I love coaching this kid. I feel alive. How alive does he make you feel? And (laughs) what are some of the most amazing plays that you've seen him make since he became a Hornet? I think, yeah, the first time he, he threw like a full court pass and, and it just, I can't remember, who, I, think, I can't remember if it was to Hayward or to Bridges because he's thrown multiple to both of them. But the first time he did it, I just, I, I, I like, I usually watch the games by myself and I just looked around and like, like, I, like, I wish I could have, I wish I had someone to just experience that moment with, cause you just can't believe like that he would actually try it and it would actually work we've talked basketball a long time, you know? And so, you know, I mean, and you're aware of just how underwhelming the Hornets have been for much of their existence. So to have a player like him, just for what he does alone, it's worth the price of admission. It's worth, you know, planning your evenings around watching him because you know, you're going to get a couple of plays that just, they make me shake my head and they make me just think like, you know, all of the everything that's come before this, all the missed draft picks, all the bad free agency decisions. It's like, maybe it was worth it. If, if I can get, you know, a decade or more of watching this kid play for us and do these special things. Um, And it's certainly, you know, going to with Borrego, right? Like it's, you got to love it for him because, you know, he was, he's been tasked with building this roster and developing this roster. And, you know, it wasn't guaranteed that Lamelo would be there at three. I mean, first they got the pick, you know, by luck of the lottery, and then you know, two teams passed on him. So you got to just feel great about everyone involved who gets to experience him and, and either coach him or whatever it is, you know. Just a quick follow up: when you were speaking about that moment that you were in awe of what you saw from Lamelo with that full court pass, were you uh, watching from home or in the arena or somewhere else? At home. Yeah. I've yet to, I haven't gone to a game since probably 2018 or 19. It's been, you know, COVID obviously um, has yeah. just kind of prevented that, but yeah, so it's been a lot of, a lot of games at home and, and um, you know, my, my wife will occasionally, you know, she is, she's definitely a fan, not to the extent that I am, but you know, she'll mm-hmm. usually come down in the second half or something. And especially if the game's close, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm usually just, you know, I, I just, I usually just go to Twitter and I'll say like, you know, I'll make some remark that everybody's making, like how, did, you know, like what, you know, how did this kid do that? How did he do that? Whatever it might be. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's pretty yeah. special. It's crazy when it's safe. And when you have some time out of your busy schedule, I'm going to need you to go see this LaMelo ball guy in person. <laughs> I know. You need I've, to do it I've already me. started making, yeah, I, I've I've made some tentative plans about some games in January. Um, they've got a couple of Friday night games, so I'm, okay. I'm looking I'm looking at that because I I definitely, yeah, it's it's got to happen. 
That sounds good. And what you're describing, I was picturing it in my head because I've seen ball highlights and I don't even know if I can adequately describe it. You know when people have to take a full court heave Mm -hmm. or it's like you have to expend energy a lot of times to get a pass all the way up the court? He didn't even really move much. It was like nothing. It was like a flick of the wrist. And then all of a sudden, he finds someone under the basket where he's under the opposite basket. It's just, yeah. you don't you don't see these things watching basketball for decades. A player like, like him just doesn't come along much, maybe like once in a generation. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. No, no, I don't think so. And I mean, even, you know, I, I think he's certainly on his way to realizing, you know, his talent, right? But even if, even if he you know, doesn't quite achieve, you know, maybe the high expectations that we all have for him. Very rarely we're going to, you know, have a player that just plays the way he does. I mean, we talk about Mm -hmm. like players that could potentially change the way the game is played. And I know he's only in his second season, but you got to wonder like how many kids growing up are going to watch him play and think like, I want to try to, you know, make audacious passes like that, you know, just play with the confidence and the, he has a, he plays with like, you know, someone described it as he doesn't care in the sense that like, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care, like, you know, like about basketball. It's like, he doesn't care about what goes on. Like he doesn't care about the pressure. He doesn't care about what's going on around him. It's just like, he's out there just doing, he's playing basketball. He's making decisions. He thinks are are the right ones to make. It just comes to him. And that's why like, there are other players that could probably make the kinds of passes that he does, but they won't attempt them because somebody tells them not to do it. And for him, it's just like, no, I'm going to make that play and and I'm going to make it work. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. 100%. And before he attempts a lot of these crazy plays, it seems like it's just natural to him. Like he doesn't yeah. even give it a second thought. Yeah. Like anytime he grabs a rebound and then they have a break, I'm always watching him because he's always has, he always has his head up and you know, he's looking to see, okay, can I, can I hit anybody across the court? You know? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I almost kind of slightly hold my breath because I'm just waiting for that moment where suddenly he's just making this audacious pass across the court to, you know, Hayward open for a jumper or bridges, you know, open for a dunk, whatever it might be. And it's, yeah, it's something that I've grown very, very accustomed to looking for. I just want to also talk about the team's pace. I think this stat is extremely telling. In the season before LaMelo arrived, the Hornets ranked dead last in pace. Last season, they climbed to 12th. They're third now in the NBA. And to listeners, this may not seem like a lot, but it makes a big deal. They've managed to add nearly four extra possessions per game. How important is playing with pace to their offensive success? It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty vital because they have the players that can get out and run and it's not even just like fast breaks. It's, it's kind of coming off of made buckets too. LaMelo in particular is really good at, you know, a team comes down, scores a quick bucket and he know he has the instinctiveness to just, just go for the ball, you know, get, get the inbounds pass and just race down the court because he knows that all right, other team is still kind of caught either at the basket or they're in transition. We may have some guys down on the other end. And so he, you know, multiple times a game, it feels like they'll just push it ahead and try to get an easy bucket um, in return. And I think it happened. There was uh, last night, I think there was one instance where um, New York had a really quick bucket. 
Um, it may have even been a dunk. LaMelo got the inbounds, came down, went coast to coast and got an and one. And it just completely negated, you know, the dunk on the other end, which had, you know, hyped up New York's, you know, bench and the team. And suddenly it's like, they're getting an extra point out of it. So things like that really speak to just speeding things up, letting them be, you know, again, Brago lets them kind of do that. You know, he, he gives them that freedom to play that way. And, um, and it definitely helps keeps uh, keeps things going. And in that game that you just cited, he almost triple doubled. He had 12 points, 17 rebounds, nine <laughs> assists, five steals, a block, not too bad. Four turnovers, not ideal, but they got the win. Um, yeah. And they did it with him shooting four of 13, but it was an exciting win. Let's transition to Miles Bridges. He's made a huge leap in terms of points per game. He's nearly taking twice as many shots per game as he did last season, leading the team in scoring, yet his turnover rate has remained unchanged. He's in year four, just 23. I'm curious if you think he's ready to be the number one scorer on a playoff team. And also, if you can touch upon how, if you look at the win-loss split stats, he's shooting 50% from the field and over 40% from three in their wins, in their losses under 40% from the floor, 28% from three. So why do you think it is, and I know I just asked you multiple questions, <laughs> that he's so integral to their success? And then again, is he ready to be that number one scorer on a playoff team? So I actually just watched a piece on Kevin O'Connor highlighted him as a potential most improved candidate in a recent video he did. I think actually it was a couple of weeks ago, but he actually spoke with Miles and they this whole idea of the role he has this year was actually orchestrated at the end of last season. Basically, Borrego said, hey, we like what you did this year, but you got to take a next step. And that step comes with ball handling. We want you to isolate more. We want you to be able to take on defenders more yourself. And so you really need to work on your ball handling skills. So you asked me the question, like, why is he such an integral part of this? I think it's because Charlotte or the coaching staff looked at the roster and said, look, for us to improve next year or take the next step, Miles has to take the next step himself. And so he obviously bought into that. He attacks the hoop much more effectively than I've ever seen him do it before. Me and I think you might remember him, James Plowright, you know, who actually writes for At The Hive now. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked many times in the past about how for as aggressive as a player as he is, he just didn't attack the hoop aggressively unless it was an open dunk. But this year, you can just see the difference. He's much more confident attacking. He's stronger and he uses that strength to his advantage. And the whole key is that I think it opens up opportunities for other guys because typically how things will start is Miles will be guarded by probably a mismatch, not the team's best defender, but you know somebody that he can exploit um, because usually the best defenders are on Hayward or they're on Ball or, or maybe even Rozier. So if he starts getting hot, they have to adjust and that leaves open shots for these other guys. And so it, it, it does not surprise me at all that in their wins, he's playing well or shooting well. And in the losses, he struggles because, you know, I think he just helps really open up other facets of the offense. I'm curious if you have any concern over how his shot has been slumping through the first half of November, or is it just maybe a case of small sample size and, and we'll see how it shakes out? I think it was the early, you know, maybe the first seven games or so, right? He was, he took everybody by surprise. And so I don't think teams were scouting him and game planning for him as, you know, to be one of the primary scorers, facilitators, you know, guys that would isolate as much as he does, right? 
And so teams have adjusted since. And so I think it's not surprising that his numbers have dipped in recent games because NBA coaches and teams are smart enough to be able to adjust to players when they're playing well. I think now for Bridges, it's like, you know, he had his hot start. Teams have now adjusted to him. So now he has to adjust himself. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually tops out at maybe 18 or 19 points a game. Maybe he can maintain 20 points a game. We'll see. But I think if he can at least continue the the way he's playing and play it fairly well, I'm not going to be too concerned if he goes through slumps or whatnot. I think he certainly, even if it's just 14 games, he's shown me enough to think that that he's a better player, that his ceiling is higher than it was entering the season. And I think maybe long-term it would be good if he was in the mid to even upper 40s in field goal percentage. But given that he's taking so many threes, I think if he winds up like 42 to 44% from the field, that's not bad at all, especially when you consider that he's nearly doubling his shot attempts. It's just a new role for him. But yeah. One thing I've seen, and you alluded to it, that I absolutely love from him is he seems unafraid to drive to the basket. We've seen that spin move a lot more often this year, and then he finishes with those dominant left-handed dunks. He had a windmill against the, the Knicks Friday night. It's just it's exciting to see, and those are obviously really high percentage shots from him too. Yeah, that spin move he's always had, but it, it's now like the clips everywhere online now. But the, the move he put on Julius Randle where he, you know, he faked left and got Randle to lean heavily to that side and then hit hit him on the spin move and then scored the and one. I mean, that's just that that's a near unstoppable move. But mm-hmm. it's more unstoppable now because he's able to break down defenders in a way that, you know, especially with his crossover and just his overall just strong first step. He didn't have that before. And that's definitely made a difference uh, in terms of his ability to ISO players and at least draw a foul, even if he doesn't, you know, score. Yeah. Are you concerned at all about what his emergence means for PJ Washington's playing time? He's currently out with an elbow injury, but he was the team's lottery pick from 2019, logged 30 plus minutes per game in each of his first two seasons. And a lot of people really like his potential if they're able to get more time for him. You know, I was actually really pleased with how he was playing before he, he picked up. It was kind of a freak injury. His, I think his arm got locked and, and it hyperextended his elbow. But um, he's, I'd have to double check this, but I feel like he was more of a stretch four early in his career. And now he's turned much more into a small ball center where he still takes threes, but he seems much more comfortable just playing closer to the rim and really just battling on the boards. I felt like he was really starting to understand the role that was right for him before the injury. In terms of taking playing time away from, you know, like I'm concerned about his long-term potential or the fit with, with him and with him and miles. It it just really depends on how they plan to utilize them. I think PJ is going to be a four or five in this league. Miles is probably going to be a four and and a three at times if they want to play a little bit bigger. It'll be interesting to see, you know, they're almost certainly going to extend miles this off season. And then a year they'll have to consider PJ. Maybe PJ gets offered as part of a trade package for a more legitimate big. I'm not sure, but I don't think miles success is necessarily going to come at the expense of, of PJ's like development. I think they'll be able to fit him into the rotation, especially with just the, the lack of, of true center depth on the team. And, and, and yeah. you know, they're playing Nick Richards right now, and he's showing some promise, 
but he's not playing at the level that they need him to play to like actually play winning basketball. He shows some flashes, but it's not overall winning basketball because he's just so raw and young at this point. Yeah. And just as a follow up to what you said about the three point attempts, you're right. PJ Washington has reduced his three point attempts by about a third this season. It's a small sample size, but through seven games, he was just logging about 21 minutes per game. But I think maybe you look at the talent on this roster and maybe that's fine for a guy like him at this stage. He's only 23. I, I wouldn't think it would stunt his development. I think it might just be the reality, given all the guys who will need minutes to maybe be around the low 20s and, and be okay with that. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah. And I think there'll be nights where he probably is asked to play a little bit more. Probably want to see him play a little bit more than 21, but maybe closer mm-hmm. to 25. Um, okay. I'm looking at his numbers here and I like that his... His two-point field goal percentage is very high this year, even though he's, he's attempting fewer shots, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. His effective field goal percentage is up. Bridges went through a similar thing last year where year one, Bridges showed promise. In year two, he was given a little bit more responsibility. It didn't quite work, and so he kind of regressed in some respects. Year three, he showed more of a consistent emergence and just overall play, especially towards the end of the season, and it's just kind of carried over into this year. So I think, you know, assuming that Washington is able to come back hopefully soon, if he figures it out by season's end, right, I I have no doubt that year four, he could really actually define the type of player that he is and and have a strong fourth season. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Hey, on the NBA Beat listeners, the NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Basketball, football, UFC, you name it. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Now here's the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, NJIN or PA only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Andy Liu from the Light Years Podcast, coming to you from On the NBA Beat. I don't recall either of us mentioning Gordon Hayward so far, but (laughs) he is very critical to their success as well. He's been fully healthy. The season is still early. Is there a thought that a lot of his recent injuries were on the fluky end of the spectrum and that he can be a durable player for this franchise long term? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm sure the injuries were fluky, especially the horrific one at that his first season in Boston. But, you know, they do kind of take a toll regardless. 
I think if anything, the depth that they have now on the wings will probably help him because he won't necessarily have to log as many minutes over the course of the season that he probably would. I mean, I think he's still, he's played a lot, especially early on when they had, when Rozier was out. Um, I mean, he's averaging 35 a game, which is actually close to a career high average. You have to go back to his Utah years to, to match that. But it's funny that you said, like, we haven't talked about Gordon Hayward yet. That's kind of like the running joke with Hornets fans is like, we draw so much attention on LaMelo, on Bridges, on even Rozier. And then like over like the past, like almost 10 games, Hayward's been consistently really good. And it just His doesn't. numbers are so good. Yeah. And, and it's just and like. And we just are used to it. It's like, it's not right. worth talking about because he does it so <laughs> consistently. Like he had like in that first, like that awful first half last uh, on Friday against the Knicks, he had like 13 first half points. And then he started out the second half with, I think the team's first eight. I mean, he, it's, it's not flashy and that's probably why it doesn't get the attention that, that, you know, Bridges and and, and LaMelo get, but he really is, he kind of holds things together. And, and as much as we talk about the importance of Bridges and, and LaMelo, Hey, we're playing this way and staying healthy is really important for, for Charlotte to, you know, have a chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. It, it, it's like the antithesis of LaMelo ball where <laughs> it, like you said, not flashy, gets the job done and you're not necessarily talking about it. So if he's healthy, that is such a boon to yeah. Charlotte's success running through just some of the key players on this roster. Terry Rogier is really struggling with his shot but it's such an early part of the season. He's coming off injuries to both of the ankles. So I really think that we can reasonably expect his field goal percentage to take up a little bit. While he may not be the most efficient scorer, it's not going to be in the 36-37 range where it is now. Do you think, though, to a certain extent, that he'll need to be shifting roles a little bit given the steps that LaMelo Ball has taken in year two, what we've seen from Miles Bridges, or should he be taking 15 shots per game as he is right now? That's a really good question because like with the amount of scores now on this team, right, you'd add Bridges into this mix. It's like they don't need him. You know, what he averaged, I think, close to 20 points a game or maybe he did average 20 points a game last year. Yeah, average 20 and a half. They may not need him to necessarily be that player anymore. I mean, he was a pretty efficient scorer last season, despite, you know, shooting up, making a lot of attempts or taking a lot of attempts. I think, yeah, like you said, it's, he's getting into things because he ha- he missed some games early on with the ankles. He is adjusting to a slightly new role. He's actually playing a little bit more point right now, which is he's actually taking Ish Smith's minutes as like kind of the backup one. I don't necessarily think that's his best position. Um, he's definitely a two guard. He just happens to be the size of a, of a point guard. So like we talked about like Bridges will probably see his percentages dip a little bit or kind of regress more to the mean, you know, of what is realistic. I think we'll see Rozier's numbers tick back up, but it'll be interesting to see like, you know, he's averaging about 15 attempts a game, which is about one and a half fewer than he was a year ago. If he can become a more efficient score, even if it means taking, you know, a few fewer shots, I'm okay with that. You know, even though we're going to be paying him to to be kind of like the primary scorer on this team, mm-hmm. that makes sense. And aside from Lamelo Ball, 
tsunami poppy kelly Uber, <laughs> was actually the guy i was most excited to talk about because yeah he's just so feast or famine that has to be yeah. so exciting slash infuriating to watch him on a game-to-game basis he seems to be more effective i think when he's playing with the second unit as opposed to playing against opposing starters but it's just so streaky what you get from him especially from beyond the arc he can catch fire from the outside or just go completely cold. We saw that 37-point outburst that I alluded to earlier in the interview. And the game before that, he was 3 of 10 from the field. And then after that, he shot 4 of 13. He only had one make through the first three quarters, but then he keeps shooting it unafraid. And he hits those three fourth-quarter threes that helped guide the Hornets past the Knicks. Also in that game, he took a three with 17 seconds on the (laughs) shot clock, up by seven in the final minute. The camera panned to Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak in the in the suite and they they were not let's just say they weren't pleased Um, (laughs) how difficult is it to rely on a guy like that but also just what is it from a a super fan perspective just emotionally the highs and the lows that this guy provides (laughs) i've I've come to realize through 14 games like this is who he's gonna be you just have to accept it and ride with it like you know to use no pun intended but like ride the wave right yeah like, i like that he does not lack for confidence and that's a great thing and also a bad thing because on those yeah. nights where he's not shooting well you just kind of want to say like dude give it to somebody else because it's just not it's not going for you he definitely fits more at the second unit because with that group he's clearly the the most well-seasoned scorer Cody Martin has had some improvements offensively, but he's not, you know, he's not the kind of scorer that, that Ubre is. He doesn't have the confidence that Ubre has or the skill set, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, when, when he's out there and it's maybe just him and Rozier or him and Hayward or him and LaMelo, like it, it, it makes sense that he's able to get more shots because if he starts, he's amongst four other guys or maybe three other guys because Plumlee's not looking to score, just three other guys that also want to get their shots too. So he just, he needs to be with the group where they can look to him to, to really lead the scoring. As we wind down, this will be the final question. And it's been an absolute joy talking basketball with you. A lot of fun yeah. and educational. So the last one is about head coach James Borrego and his potential future with the Charlotte Hornets. He turned 44 on Friday, relatively young. And it's his fourth season at the helm for the franchise. By most accounts, he's an excellent coach for a rebuilding franchise. But as this franchise hopes to take the next step, how is he being evaluated by the front office? And what have you seen from him this season? Are there any adjustments he's made as the young guys start to mature? Or does it seem like it like it's the same coach Brago? And is that a good thing? Or <laughs> how, how do you see his future panning out here? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked me about this because I've thought about his future um, a bit. I think up until this point, and probably for at least another season, his he's being evaluated on player development, or at least primarily on player development. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that, just that side of things, he's done an excellent job. I mean, I think almost every draft pick of theirs, aside from maybe Vernon Carey, has shown improvement under under his staff right? They've, they've selected a lot of second round picks. They've all shown flashes of ability and to the point where 
even if they all, they're not going to all stick in Charlotte, but I do think that, you know, they're going to stick elsewhere. That's a testament to that staff putting in the work with these guys behind the scenes and getting them ready to be, you know, to, to potentially make it in the NBA, you know, at least somewhat long-term. He's done a really good job at, at just building this roster and helping them grow and mature with each other. They seem very close with one another. They seem to really buy into what he wants to do. But you kind of alluded to it, maybe not this year, but definitely next year, that expectation is going to shift from player development to winning, you know, to making the playoffs and to competing in the playoffs. I've thought about like a comparison for him. And I, and I say this purely from just a stand, like just from like expectation standpoint, not from style, but what I'm curious to see what happens is if he kind of goes a, a Brett Brown like route where Brett Brown was brought in to lead that rebuild, that whole trust the process, you know, era. And he did that. He was successful at building up Embiid and Simmons, except for the three point shot and, and everybody else. But then they got to the playoffs and they kind of capped out with him. Not to say that he's a bad coach, but at that point they realized, you know what? We need a we need a coach with more playoff experience. And that's why they brought in Doc Rivers. And we'll see, you know, whether that's successful or not. But I just mm-hmm. what I wonder is, is Borrego gonna kind of go that route? Like I hope he succeeds. I really love him. I think he's been he could end up being the best coach in, in this franchise's history, at least since they returned as the Bobcats, you know, initially the Bobcats and then the Hornets. But that's going to be the real test for him to determine like he's he was great in this era, but but now that they've got the pieces to win, can he do that? And mm-hmm. they gave him a contract extension this summer. He's obviously got room to to do that, right? It's not like he's playing for his job anymore, at least for, for right now. But yeah, I mean, this year, I think they want to make the playoffs. I think if they don't, it won't be the end of the world for him. But definitely next year, I think they're gonna there's gonna be the expectation that hey, we need to be we need to not just make the playoffs. We need to you know at least win a series. We need to show show progression forward because it'll be year I guess five of the rebuild at that point. And and by then, you definitely want to see some results. You want to see results this year too, but definitely by next year. And that's fair. It's not like you're counting him out. You're just Right. Laying out what the task is ahead of him. And I think that was a fascinating parallel when you talked about the 76ers and their situation. I'll let you go. I want you to enjoy the rest of the season. I know you will. It's going to be a lot of fun, even though we don't know exactly what to expect from this young team. (laughs) That's that's kind of the, the, the joy of it. We don't know what to expect. So it just there's been a mantra around Hornets fans last couple seasons of just enjoy the ride. And that's kind of what I'm still doing. It becomes harder to just enjoy it when you know that the team is good enough to probably play better than they are, but I'm, I'm still going to hold on to that because it's, it's definitely been enjoyable. Enjoy. Thanks, Nate. Thank you to our loyal listeners and to those tuning in for the first time. And of course, a huge shout out and thanks to Nick Denny, whose appearance made the discussion possible. Your host for this episode was me, Aaron Fishman. You can follow our show on Twitter at OnTheNBAB and me personally at ByAaronFish. This episode was jointly produced and edited by Lauren Lee Chen and myself. You can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching OnTheNBAB wherever you get your podcasts. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated as they really do help more people find the show. OTNB is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. We'll see you next time when we'll be discussing another promising young team, the Cleveland Cavaliers.